Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. Okay, so I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I am your host, Chris Flaming, here as always. And today I have the pleasure of Lauren Winans to the show. She's the CEO and founder of Next Level Benefits, your on-demand HR experts in waiting. She sees her role as a strategic partner to ensure a benefits package that's meaningful and impactful. Lauren, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, let's have some fun. Yeah, I got all kinds of stuff to go over. I'm excited about our topics today. <laughs> so your uh, professional path doesn't really look like it was a straight line necessarily. So uh, take me through kind of what led you to the place that you are now um, and the career that you're in now. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, I kind of fell into human resources. I think a lot of people end up doing that. <laughs> I started my career at um, a health insurance company and learned everything there is to know about, you know, medical insurance and claims. Then I decided to kind of move on and, and jump into a different kind of role. And I ended up in an entry level benefits administration position. And it, that's within an HR function. And, you know, kind of been, you know, climbing the ranks, you know, since then had pretty much every job there is to have an employee benefits. And then most recently, before I kind of, you know, decided to do my own thing, you know, was previously in an HR leadership team reporting to a CHRO, you know, really kind of focused on creating, you know, a best place to work and really just, you know, focused on, you know, employees and offering the right benefits and got to a place where I was just, you know, it felt like it was too much, you know, Mm. there's so much when you're in the corporate position, I was in corporate for 20 years, like you're on the, the hamster wheel. And uh, mm-hmm. so I was looking for something new, different challenge, but still wanted to use my expertise, always wanted to own my own business. So I founded Next Level Benefits. And for the past two years, we've been focused on helping clients of all sizes in all industries with any sort of HR projects that they have. Basically, my model is that we're able to loan out HR professionals for you know, short term or long term projects. We partner with HR teams. We also fill in in companies that don't have HR teams. And so we just kind of do a little bit of everything. And my experience, my past experience has really helped quite a bit in this process because I've primarily worked for large, you know, global organizations and really have seen it all when it comes to HR. <laughs> okay. So you said something there. I'm, I'm hoping that you will elaborate on. You said you were on the hamster wheel Yes. And it got to be too much. So could you could yeah. you kind of elaborate on that? Like what sure. what was the too much? Um, yeah. I'm not, I don't want to guess what it was. I want you to tell me. Yeah, you know, the too much, it was, um, you know, the combination of office politics without strong leadership is really a recipe for disaster. It got to a point where I basically, in the five or six years that I was at my last corporate employer, I had three different bosses and five different CEOs. 
Mm. Um, the churn was too much. It was mm. disruptive. It made it difficult to be productive. It made it difficult to be strategic. And I really enjoy, you know, building HR strategy and, you know, really enjoy making investments in employees. And those two things were not part of my job description any longer. So it was mm. clearly, it was just, it was tactical. It was lacking the creativity that I really wanted. So it, yeah. it became too stressful, quite frankly, to go in every day. And I, I just, you know, I resigned and they were like, well, where are you going? And I'm like, home. And they're like, what? Right. I'm like, I just need a break. I just, yeah. I need a break to reassess where I'm at in my career and what I want to do next. And I, yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I make no apologies for it. Mm -hmm. So you stopped at Starbucks on the way home and then you went home. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's go back to the year that you started the company, you started the business. So if you could go back and tell that person something um, give them some advice. What would that be? You know, it took a lot for me to make the choice to take the leap. And number one, I would congratulate myself that I made that decision. I would also remind myself that, you know, there was nothing to fear. There was nothing to worry about. And that, you know, doing something that you feel passionate about is almost always going to work out. And so, you know, if I knew what I know now, I would not have lost any sleep. I would not have stressed over how the website looks and, you know, all the different components that go into creating a business. I would have just committed to it and got going and not stressed as much. But in the beginning, you just don't know what, what, how it's going to pan out. And, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful that we have been successful since the first month that we started. Awesome. I really like that answer. So why might a company or an HR department at a company engage your services versus going at it alone? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons why, you know, some of the, the reasons that we end up partnering with clients, it could be that they really just need some extra expertise in house. They might have a fairly junior team um, and they really have a complex project in front of them and just need that deeper expertise. So we can come in in that type of situation. You know, we've also helped when there has been open roles that are taking a really long time to fill, or perhaps there is someone who is out on an extended leave of absence, maybe a maternity or a paternity leave. And, you know, we step in and we just kind of help to lead the team in the interim. And so that interim fractional leadership is, is, you know, really important. It keeps the wheels on the bus. But, you know, aside from those two situations, you know, we also come in just to be extra bandwidth, extra hands to get through tasks and projects. And throughout the pandemic, HR has been, you know, such a critical piece of every business's, you know, strategic plan around how to manage COVID. And so bandwidth is coming at a premium these days, and it's really hard to, you know, combat burnout. And so using our services, whether it be for four weeks, six weeks, four months, six months, a year, two years, it helps. Um, it helps your team. Um, it helps you to get some expertise that you wouldn't necessarily have access to. You don't have to teach us anything because we know we speak mm -hmm. the same language. We know exactly what needs to happen. We even have some clients who just pass, mail us a laptop and say, get to work. So, you know, really there's a variety of different reasons that mm -hmm. our clients reach out to us and we can help them in so many different ways. Yeah, that's compelling. So what are some areas of your practice of your company that you personally get the most enjoyment out of right now? 
my deep expertise and my love is um, employee benefits. I am an employee benefits nerd. I know <laughs> a lot about health insurance. I know more than I want to know about retirement plans. And I love it. You know, I, I'm super excited um, when it comes to benefits. And I feel that employee benefits are a special part of the employee experience and the total rewards package that should be offered at every organization. So I feel you know, really excited when we have projects that come in um, that are employee benefits related. Um, we've done some employee benefits assessments, um, some total rewards assessments lately, and those are the, the projects that get me the most excited. So okay. I, I like to spend a lot of time in that space. <laughs> so is it, do you think there's a, bis, a big misconception that either people or businesses have about either your line of work or whether they need to offer benefits or not? Yeah, I do. I think there's a couple of misconceptions going on. You know, I think there's, you know, some, um, you know, HR teams that might necessarily not have benefits experts or total rewards experts in house because they feel that a generalist, an HR generalist can mm -hmm. kind of handle everything. And, you know, n not to take away from any of their talents, but there is a benefit to having um, someone focused on both compensation and benefits so that the entire employee experience is, is enriched in a way that you just wouldn't have with, you know, general HR individual kind of creating a benefits package. You know, there are certain things that employees are looking for these days. And if you want to be competitive, you have to be offering a robust benefits package and competitive compensation. Just flat out, you, you must do that, especially right now in the, the job market that we're in and the climate that we're in. So I think some misconceptions are you don't necessarily need that depth of experience in-house. And I think on the other side of the coin, there's also the, you know, folks that are not offering benefits to their employees at all. Mm -hmm. which I think is a clear miss and it's going to, it's going to decrease the level of talent that you bring into your organization. So what would you say are the most overlooked areas or blind spots when it comes to company offerings, right? So either yeah. we don't think that's important or we're not going to do that or, you know, our people don't care about that. So to date, um, it feels as if mental health is something that has been, you know, top of mind, and it has been something that hasn't necessarily had the right focus on it when it comes to creating a benefits package. I mean, yes, you can, you know, access mental health services through any sort of health insurance that you may be offered. But there are additional support services around meditation and mindfulness and access to, to, um, to telehealth when it comes to therapy sessions you know, being able to schedule and structure your day and learn more about, you know, different aspects of, you know, your health and how to effectively manage yourself and your family and the boundaries that you need to create at work. There's all these different aspects that kind of touch on and influence our mental health. And employers, there are many employers doing this well because they recognize the value of tending to and supporting employees' mental health. But there are just as many employers that really, it, it wasn't top of mind until the pandemic came through. So mm -hmm. it was, you know, really something that, you know, we just want to be able to offer something and forget about it. We still have a few clients today that have been hesitant to move forward with additional mental health benefits because they're just not sure it's going to be a good ROI. It's hard to quantify right. um, the return on investment when it comes to a lot of employee benefits. And so this is one of those areas that I think that folks are struggling with. Um, for example, you know, mental health is just, we're just starting to really scratch the surface, I think, from an employer standpoint of how do we support employees in an effective manner without overstepping our bounds. And so that I think is something that is a barrier for a lot of employers. That's the thing I'm seeing most right now.
Okay. So let's, let's change gears a little bit. What retirement benefit offerings do you see getting the most traction right now? So we're, we're putting on the nerd hat. It's on. So here you go. Go ahead. Go. (laughs) So, you know, the retirement benefit offerings that I'm seeing most common right now, you know, really that, that focus on company match is still very important. Also focus on financial wellness, making sure that people have access to educational opportunities to learn more about how they can manage their finances today to be successful in the future. That is a really big one. Um, so when we talk about financial wellness and financial well-being, you know, that can be you know, anything from maybe offering some lunch and learns or offering access to you know, professionals to help you planning and advising and choosing investment options. Um, you know, it can also simply just be having access to online tools, budgeting tools, and you know, an ability to um, really kind of tackle your debt. Those sorts of things are really gaining a lot of traction and have over the last couple of years. And then there's a third is definitely more of a trend in benefits over the past couple of years, and it has been um, student loan assistance. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of the um, 401k vendors and administrators are kind of offering these additional services because they've recognized that student loans really impact our ability to save today. You know, and so there's student loan reimbursement programs and repayment offerings and, and even help to, to consolidate and refinance those loans. And so employers are also looking into that space as well. And so I think, you know, top three, company match, financial wellness opportunities through education, and the student loan repayment seems to be, you know, the top three benefits right now. In, in the okay, report. so let's, let's hone in on one of those because I have a question about what your take is on this. So you're familiar with auto enrollment and auto escalation. Just for our listeners who might not know, auto enrollment is um, if you come on with the company after a certain period of time, you're automatically enrolled in the retirement plan. And then unless you default out and pick to choose to be out and auto escalation is, is generally on an annual basis, uh, your contribution percentage would escalate or go up um, every year, unless you went in and changed it or turned that off. So we see that as being a trend on being something that's being offered a lot, but we're finding that a lot of companies are choosing not to do it. Um, So I'm curious what your take is on the reasons for that, the psychology behind that or why they choose that. There's two reasons. Um, One is the noise that comes along with that. HR teams who are, you know, benefits teams are part of, you know, an HR department. HR teams are not, they have enough on their plate. Um, and they don't necessarily want employees coming to them to complain, to be confused about what that deduction is that just came out of their pay, um, you know, to want it back and they can't get it back. Um, and so they just don't want to deal with it, quite frankly. So that's one. Two is the, the, the cost associated with auto enrollment, um, not necessarily auto escalation, but auto enrollment in general. You know, unless, you know, you have the dollars, you know, like a large employer does to set aside for certain things like a safe harbor plan and that sort of thing, you know, budgets are tight. And when you auto enroll employees, you're putting them in the plan. And at some point, you're going to have to company match them, assuming that you have a company match Mm -hmm. and it costs you more. And so quite frankly, I think those are the two barriers to that. But I honestly... I think it's, um, it's the noise that is really the barrier to doing that. Because I think, especially if you have part-time employees in your workforce, 
once they become eligible for a 401k plan, if they are eligible, that's a whole nother pop set of the population that you have to explain to, you know, who might not necessarily understand a 401k the way a full-time employee does. And it can become quite a nightmare. A lot of emails, a lot of phone calls, a lot of complaints. In some cases, people leave the organization if they feel like the company took some money from them. Even though it's not the case, it's hard to explain that to some folks. And so I think that's really the two reasons for for why you might, you know, be seeing a downward trend on that. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of information out there. We, you've seen studies, I've seen studies where we have a retirement crisis in America, right? So average 401k balances are relatively low. The percentage that people put aside on an annual basis um, kind of peaked during the last financial crisis, and then it's kind of trended down. Um, debt's trending back up for people. So I'm curious what your opinion on how maybe what some solutions are from a retirement benefit standpoint that you see might work well to help combat some of this bad news that we see with some of these studies. I think can you solve the world's problems in six sentences or less? I think I Go can. Ahead. No, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can. Um, I really think that employers need to kind of step back and assess what their philosophy around employee benefits is. So, you know, if your philosophy as an employer is to, in, you know, in, provide enrichment opportunities for your employees through your, your, your benefits program in an effort to attract and retain talent to your organization, then you really need to be focused on all areas of an employee's life and helping them to financially prepare themselves for retirement is not only, I think, an employer's obligation, but it's also a societal obligation. You know, if we are not, if we as employers are not helping employees to save and understand the value of saving and understand the value of, you know, spending properly, not overspending, managing debt, then I think that we're going to lose the battle. And as we all age and get closer to retirement, what we're gonna find is we're gonna be working forever. So I think there is an opportunity for employers to assess their philosophy and then institute um, benefits that are going to make a difference. Hmm. If you don't have the money to invest in necessarily, you know, a robust 401k company match, that's okay, but you should be able to offer some education opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that comes at a very low cost. You know, you can teach your employees the types of things that they need to know in an effort to help them in their lives outside of work. And that is really, I think, what the best employers do. So I think that's one way that we can kind of combat things. And I also think that, you know, there's a lot of concern over mounting debt. You know, there's debt when it comes to, you know, medical services, you know, the debt that you take on when you have to have some sort of, you know, procedure done, and there's a surprise bill that comes in, and you weren't expecting it. And, You know, all of those, you know, that's one, that's one area, but, you know, all of these different components that kind of lead someone to having, you know, carrying around debt, I think that there's an opportunity to really kind of assess the different structures that we have in our society. I'm a big component of, uh, or big proponent of really focusing on the medical debt that kind of, you know, can accumulate with someone who might have a chronic diagnosis or a chronic Mm -hmm. condition. And that's one of the major factors for folks kind of going into debt and or bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's opportunities for the government to step in. I know one of the things that they're doing is um, working on a No Surprises Act 
which is going to be focused around stopping the surprise billing um, that hospitals and doctors do, mainly for emergency visits. I think it's like there's opportunities for legislation that can help us as a country and as organizations, as leaders, to really better understand the best way to support employees in a, in a proper way. And I think, too, that there is an opportunity for folks to, to learn a little bit more about the dangers of getting into a bad financial situation. I think perhaps there are folks who don't understand the gravity of that situation um, until they're in it. Yeah, well, and everybody likes good surprises, but no one likes bad surprises. Nobody right. likes bad surprises. Nobody likes a high dollar claim that wasn't paid that is now against your credit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nobody likes that. Yeah. No. <laughs> Let's change gears. Um, I'm curious, tell me about one of your most satisfying client experiences. Problems yeah. they were facing, how you helped them, you know, yeah, you how know, it ended up happy story at the end. Yeah, you know, I'm actually still working with, um, so the very first client that I brought on two years ago is still a client of ours. They're my, one of my favorite clients, quite frankly. They do so much for their employees and they're constantly looking to improve. They're constantly looking to strategically enhance ways that they can further support their employees. So we work very closely with their HR department. We work very closely, particularly with the VP of Total Rewards. Um, and she is just, you know, hyper-focused on making sure that the employees of this organization, you know, get exactly um, what they need and want out of their employment with this company. They're a very large employer. They have over 55,000 employees, you know, but they are focused on keeping, um, you know, that, that small company feel within the organization and they're doing a fantastic job. So we've, mm. we've worked on a variety of different projects for them, but I think my most satisfying was we, um, we stepped in and uh, helped them to consolidate 170 different paid time off vacation and sick plans into five plans. And so we were able to really streamline as well as at the same time enhance the number of days that employees were receiving and in turn able to help with some of the um, accounting for how the, the time is accounted for. So we actually realized some cost savings for the organization, some you know, lower accruals carrying over from year to year, and the employees got more time. Yeah. So it was an administrative win all the way around. And it was probably, you know, one of my favorite projects. It took us 14 months to do it, yeah. but we those, did Those it. were probably 170 <laughs> ticking time bombs. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 Okay. But it was, a, it was a great experience. Yeah. Great. That's great. So I'm curious, your first memory of money, personally. First memory of money. You know, I come from a family that is very motivated, um, that is that strives for perfection, right or wrong. And my mom was an executive in the telecommunications industry. You know, my dad was a senior leader um, within the federal government, within the Social Security Administration. And, you know, kind of watching both of them, I saw how hard they worked um, for the family and how hard how hard it was, you know, to really have a family, juggle a family and a job that's fast paced, you know, but the lesson they always taught me was that, you know, we work hard, um, not only, you know, to instill great values in, in our children, 
you know, but also to earn money for us to do, you know, amazing things, to have amazing experiences. And Mm -hmm. so I think I was probably maybe six, seven or eight, somewhere around there when it really kind of clicked for me, like, oh, okay, like, so we don't just own this big house, like you had to work hard for this house and you Mm -hmm. have to work hard for, you know, sending us to private school and you have to work hard to, you know, take us on vacation. You know, all these, it was around that time frame that I realized that, you know, money is a tool to have wonderful experiences with the people you love. And so I have been, I've have a good relationship with it because I see the greater value in it. And mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily focused on, you know, hoarding that money or spending yeah. all that money. It's more of how can I use my, my money to increase my quality of life here on earth? And how can I create experiences for my, for my family and friends? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. We share something there. I'm an experienced guy myself. So what would you say <laughs> is your biggest life accomplishment so far, Lauren, either personally or professionally? I'm going to stick with professionally, because I feel like I have too many personal accomplishments that I'm proud of, and I will just bore your listeners. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stay with professional. I think my biggest accomplishment is, is going out on my own, taking mm. that leap, you know, becoming an entrepreneur and not being hindered by, you know, any sort of feedback that I may have gotten that wasn't positive. You know, I had a few folks who were concerned that perhaps that wasn't the right choice, but I've been able to kind of prove them wrong. And now that I have a taste for doing my own thing, I mean, going back to a corporate environment is last on my list because this is something I love to do. I love to create. And this is just, you know, a way for me to be creative. And I, Mm -hmm. I've enjoyed every minute of it. I can concur on that. Independence definitely has its advantages much more than on the, at the corporate level. So outside of your practice, outside of your business. I'm curious something that you are really passionate about personally. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate about patient advocacy. Mm. So I'll tell you so, why. Yeah, um, tell me, well, first tell me what that is. Sure, sure. And then, so, and then you can tell me why. <laughs> absolutely. So patient advocacy is really, um, so, so think of this, you know, you, you go to the doctor's office, you have a, a condition, you're not really sure what it is. You're, you're going on this journey of figuring out how to help yourself feel better. And patient advocacy is really um, knowing when to ask the right questions and knowing you know, when to trust the advice of the specialists and or the doctors that you see. And so you know, my, my son has um, a medical condition that required me to step in to be not only a parent advocate, but a patient advocate. And what I've witnessed in the healthcare system is that it's very hard to do. It is very hard to advocate for yourself when you are sitting in a room with a very well-educated professional who's telling you what you should do. And it's hard for folks who are in that situation to either push back or ask questions or try to figure out more, or even, you know, when they're telling them there's nothing wrong with them and they know deep down there's a, you know, there's something not right. It's trusting your gut and it's being able to, um, to collaborate with medical professionals in a way that helps you and does not turn you into just another number, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just another person that they've seen that day. And so I'm very passionate about patient advocacy, mainly, you know, for, for children who are, are patients and have conditions. Um, but generally speaking, I'm just 
I feel that it is very important for folks to be heard when they are seeking care and for them to be able to ask questions and get educated and get information from their doctors and feel confident in their treatment plans and their care. Mm-hmm. So I, I do some volunteer work with some organizations focused on patient advocacy. I work closely with um, an organization that um, specifically handles the condition that my son has. And so those are just, you know, it's very close to my heart, mm-hmm. um, not only because of my own you know, personal situation with my child, but also because being an employee benefits professional, I have seen many employees that I, you know, partners, colleagues that I've worked with who've been in situations where they were told to get an MRI and didn't need it. They had to get, you know, three different diagnostic tests before they were told, you know, what their diagnosis was. They were misdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. And, and it all comes down to a fear of, of not, at, not wanting to ask the question when you're in front of the doctor or when you're in the room of not knowing what to ask, when to ask, how to ask. And I think there's um, an opportunity to continue to educate folks on that because they should be a champion in their own healthcare. Okay. Yeah, I like what you said there. And I know we're in a Zoom call, but I can definitely see your passion behind that through the screen. <laughs> so that's great that you believe in that. And I think a lot of people, to your point, they just think, well, this, this smart person's in the room telling me. And so they just, they're the be all end all. And I just do go along with everything that they say, which maybe okay, but in some cases, maybe it isn't. And you're not making an informed decision. Yeah, you need to be an active participant, you know, in your own health. And that that also mm-hmm. has to take place when you're in the doctor's office, too. You can't just yeah. rely on whomever you're seeing, you need to better, you need to understand the why behind the things that they're telling you to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in our industry, in your industry, in ours, things are constantly changing, rules change, the regulations change, Operating change, you can do this, you can't do that. That was a good idea five years ago, now it's not. So how do you kind of stay up to speed on everything that's going on and changing in your industry? I'm thinking most recently of COVID and how, you know, there was, you just didn't know what change was going to be did, What did they call then? it? It's a, it's an evolving situation or what was the term <laughs> that they used? It was a, it was, it was some term like it's always changing or it's evolving or it's, yeah. So, yeah. Which basically meant we're going to we go with this right now and then right. we can always change it tomorrow, right? We're going to, yeah, we're going to hope we're making the right choice today. Right. And, you know, I rely on a lot of, um, you know, national publications. I also um, have some um, employment law partners that mm-hmm. provide updates to me regularly you know, I think, you know, SHRM, um, the Society for Human Resources Management is, is one of my, you know, go-to sources for all things legislative as it comes out for, you know, employment and benefits, compensation, all of that. But I do find that it is challenging to keep up with, especially when we work with national clients who are dispersed mm. across the country and there's all these different state laws and locality changes and requirements and so it is really hard to kind of keep track of. But what I will say is that, you know, when you're a benefits nerd like me, it's very easy to consume a lot of updated information. So I get regular email updates and I have meetings with folks that kind of keep me up to speed. So it's probably the best part of my job, quite frankly. I love to read into all of that stuff. I love to read like pending legislation and like, yeah. hey, I'm weird. I'm weird like that. <laughs> you, you don't like to read prospectuses, do you? 
So I used to. Oh my then, gosh. Oh my god. But gosh. then I I you know what? I decided I'm going to start reading recreationally again. So yeah. I'm going to have to put down the prospectuses. <laughs> Those are reserved for people with insomnia or uh just don't <laughs> like themselves. <laughs> All right, we're almost to the end. We're about to land the plane. So, okay. <laughs> uh most exciting part of your career, most exciting part of your business right now. What do you think is your biggest opportunity? Biggest opportunity. Um, you know, honestly, I am in the process of really, I've decided that I am going to come a little bit more into my own and own my experience and knowledge and try my best to impart my experience and my expertise in any way, shape or form that I can. So I mm. am really trying to grow myself as a thought leader in the HR space. And so that has been the most exciting. I mean, talking to you, um, getting interviewed, you know, by others for, for articles, for podcasts, it has been really exciting for me. I originally wanted to be a journalism major. And mm. Somehow I ended up doing what I'm doing. And so there's a part of me that is so jealous of those that are able to live and breathe, you know, media relations and, you know, writing and all of that on a daily basis. So I get excited when I have the opportunity to share my knowledge on a different platform. Mm. So that's, that's one, that's probably the most exciting thing that's going on right now. But I am really very fortunate to have a great team that works with me at Next Level Benefits and great clients that are just are, are willing to kind of move mountains at this point to really create more best places to work. And I'm just mm. really thrilled to continue to be a part of those projects um, and as we bring on new clients. Fantastic. Now, what do you think is your, given all that success, what do you think is probably your biggest challenge going forward? My biggest challenge for me, I think, is setting boundaries and, and not biting off more than I can chew. Mm. I think that uh, folks who are leaders, um, entrepreneurs, I think we often are almost too motivated in some cases and try to take on too much. And I don't want that to come at the sacrifice of the, the quality of my work and the mm. quality of, you know, what my conversations can be like and what my relationships can be like. And so I think that the challenge for me is going to be, you know, over time, making sure that I'm, I'm choosing the right projects and I'm choosing the right ways to spend my time. And I have a tendency to take on too much. And so I think I need to, you know, relax a little bit and, you know, realize that there's, there's not enough hours in the day. <laughs> never is. Do you see the impact uh, either for your clients or for yourself of the commoditization, which is essentially, you know, people having the opinion that can be automated. That's done by AI. I can go on Google and do a search and get that done for me. So do you, do you see that either your clients or in your industry where people are going that route? You know, that's a really good question. One I haven't thought of before, quite frankly, the clients that we are currently working with, and I, I know I've probably brought up the pandemic more than, than you have in this conversation, but I, I do think it's relevant to answer this question that the pandemic really kind of halted a lot of strategic work in a lot of different ways. Um, and HR is no exception. I think that there, there is so little investment that was made in a lot of you know, HR teams, um, in HR systems, in HR technology. And the pandemic highlighted that. Mm -hmm. So it's now more on the forefront of, hey, like, 
we probably need to invest. But there's, you know, the strategy piece was kind of lost for a little bit over the past, you know, year and a half. And I think that our clients are in a place now really focused on reimagining their workforces and their workplaces. And once they can kind of get over that hump, I think they're going to be laser focused on technology enhancements, ways that they can incorporate AI into their processes. You know, also, you know, how can they simplify a lot of the tasks and or work that it's done within their organization? So I absolutely think that the appetite is there. I think that the Mm -hmm. pandemic kind of delayed it a little bit. And I think Mm -hmm. though that within the next, you know, probably two to three years, we're going to have a lot more clients as well as just a lot more employers in general who are going to be much more laser focused on ways that they can improve process through technology. And I think it's going to be interesting to see, because you probably know this too, but a lot of those things that get automated, whether it's an HR department or pension calculations or 401k help or webinars, um, I, I see a general low involvement in that like they're offerings but a lot not a lot of people are doing it right now that could be because they're just new and that type of thing but i think it's going to be interesting as those become more widely available if there continues to be a a low adoption or a usage by the clients or by the employees of those businesses again not a reason not to do it right and then if that's the case what tactics might have to be employed to try to get that up because you and i both know as humans, it's just easier, you know, I'm, don't change anything, right? Change is hard, right? Yeah. It's easier to just kind of sit where you are and, and not have to do anything. So I think that will be interesting as those things are more adopted to see if the adoption rates or the usage rates of those go up. For sure. You know, and communication is one of those things that, you know, HR teams don't always do that well. And I think that, you know, bringing in communication experts when you're, you know, and change management experts, when you're incorporating changes like that into either a benefits plan or an HR process, or even just a, an organizational change, it makes the adoption process so much better. The adoption rates are higher when you can actively communicate what has changed, why we are changing it, and bringing in, uh, bringing folks along with you as the change is happening. I think that helps because a lot of, like you said, a lot of employers will just put something in place that they don't actively communicate it and no one knows about it. And that's why the adoption rate is terrible. But I think if, you know, if you take the right approach around communication and change management, you can kind of can overcome those hurdles. Mm, that's well said. Now, if people wanted to learn more about you or contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. You know, thanks for asking. Um, Next Level Benefits, um, our website um, is probably the best way to um, learn more about what we do. You can even, you know, schedule um, a discovery call with us via the website. You could send me an email via the website. That website is nlbenefits.com. So I abbreviated Next Level, nlbenefits.com. And we list out there some comments from our current clients, testimonials, um, a list of the projects that we have done recently. We keep it up to date as well. We also have some great content out there from any sort of interviews um, that I may do. So all of our stuff is, is on the website. So please visit. Fantastic. Lauren, I had a good time today. Yes, me too, Chris. Thanks yeah, so much. You've been, you've been a really insightful guest and it's been a true pleasure to have you on. Lauren Winans was our esteemed guest, and I want to thank all of you for tuning in to the Confident Retirement Podcast, brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we're raising the retirement confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. 
Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.